Hello, everyone. My name is uh, Daniel Crane. I'm the program director for the Center for Creative Entrepreneurship uh, based out of Chicago, Illinois. Uh, CCE sits in 2112, uh, which is a space in Chicago that's 160,000 square feet of industry. Uh, we have a film stage, uh, 120 music production rooms, and a creative hub incubator that has um, music labels, uh, VR companies, music tech, um, law firms, video production, our idea is how do you bring people who are creating stuff closer to the actual business. Um, this podcast is called Global Industry Spotlight. Every Thursday, we talk with entrepreneurs, small businesses, organizations who are in the creative industries, learn about their work, learn what they're doing. Um, I'm really excited to be live here at South by Southwest with Janisha Jones, um, who is a, a, a music industry expert. Um, and I'm, you know, looking forward to our conversation just about, you know, music tech, the industry, uh, inclusivity, how do we create um, a, a more inclusive music industry space, how do we break down barriers, how do we allow access to people who typically have not had access. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here offer some insight into my experience and how we can bridge the gap in this business. A lot more people have access to it. So just to start off, can you talk about what your current work is right now? What are you working on sure. right now? Sure. Well, I'm CEO of Fresh and Sassy Productions, an ecosystem of safe spaces for women of color in the music industry. I am host of Pub Royalty Queen podcast, where I've interviewed over 24 women of color in the music business about their challenges navigating a white male-dominated space, and in order to legitimize their experiences as, as well as my own, because if you haven't noticed, I am a woman of color. <laughs> um, but uh, I produced the first research study on intersectionality in the music business called A Seat at the Table. Um, um, a seat at the table, a perspective on women of color in the music industry. So I've been saying it so many times this week <laughs> that it's almost like I'm surprised it's not just <laughs> straight coming out. But um, I actually presented that research study, the second annual uh, study this morning. So I'm coming off of the high of that moment, um, sharing that insight. Um, and in order to provide resources for women of color in the music industry, I am founder and chairwoman of Juke Joint Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization aimed at providing scholarships, business grants, and access to music biz related events for some of the most marginalized groups in the music community. And so, you know, the, the give me kind of the Cliff Notes version of what you see as being some of the problems. Absolutely. So first of all, there is a barrier to entry. Uh, most women of color earn at least a bachelor or higher degree of education. The number is about 92%. Um, we're taking out student loan debt in order to finance our education because we do not have the resources um, to just start school. Um, we also don't have the relationships or the connections into the industry. So we enter via unpaid internships mm -hmm. at a very high level. Um, it's, the music industry is occupied in these major metropolitan areas, which are not inexpensive places to live. So just right off the bat, it's the lack of resources, the lack of relationships, and access into the business. Um, but then once you're in the industry, unfortunately, um, there is a racial and uh, gender wage dispar disparity. Um, we lack mentorship, which can actually increase your bottom line by $40,000 over the span of your career. So if you don't have you know, someone that can tap into your skills and say your name in rooms where you may not be in, 
um, or just give you feedback on your work, it's very hard to advocate for yourself uh, for promotional opportunities, et cetera. I want to put a pin in that. I, I said like very quietly, I was like, wow, um, <laughs> about the mentorship piece. Yeah. Because I, I have found that, um, you know, CC has built out and, and is testing a, a mentorship system. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard for people to like get to people to sign up. I'm like, yeah. hey, you have access to all this. We're not charging you a fee. But it's still there, there still seems to be like a communication. I don't know if it's like a marketing thing of like maybe we don't call it mentorship. Maybe right. it's like a, it needs to be like rebranded or something. Um, Perhaps. I mean, but, one of the th- but just providing that access, I'm just curious of like um, – how you how you approach getting people to be like no use these mentors this is how you do it well i think first of all we need to adjust our frame of thinking like what is mentorship what is it that you actually want from it mm-hmm. right mentorship is advice it's feedback but what we really need is sponsorship so if you're thinking of, okay, we're just going to house this place where people can get feedback on work, then that might not have the pull the way that someone would that has access that would actually say, hey, I see what you're doing. How can I help that? Right. Um, so maybe it is a marketing thing. Right. And, and in terms of, like, sponsorship, you're meaning uh, financial sponsorship or, like... It could like be support via, again, just saying people's names in rooms. If you are in a privileged position, you can use your resources to uplift and bring other people to the table. Um, It happens in the boys club culture of the business. I see it all the time. Mm -hmm. Just by access and relationship building, uh, you see a, a guy that you're friends with. Hey, join this conversation. This person is doing this. How can we help this person? Um, and I find that for women of color, it's much harder for them to gain access to those conversations. And how how did you get into the music industry? What was your entry point and sure. and kind of career? I'm a classically trained musician, singer songwriter. I'm a pianist, violinist, and trained opera singer. That's my little like <laughs> bit that I never tell anyone right. because they always ask. Hey, yeah, that's, that's incredible. I mean, I'm a I'm a I'm a trained drummer. I'm a there you know, yeah conservatory kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I so, love that for yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> classically trained, you know. Um, and I went to school to learn more about the business because I was positioning myself as an artist. Felt I would need to know how to better promote myself. And um, when I graduated from college, which, by the way, I got a bachelor's in music business and a master's in entertainment business. Um, But we were at this place in uh, the music industry where we were moving from physical to digital sales, so it was very uncertain. Um, I got lucky to enter into music publishing, which if you're a creator, if you're creating music, you're a producer, you're a writer, there's always going to be publishing. Um, So this was some security that I found on the publishing side. Yeah, I I recently visited Memphis and went to the Stax Museum, uh, and it talked about how uh, they sold all of their publishing to CBS, Mm -hmm. so that when the company was in trouble and they had expanded into films and they were really growing, and they had this moment where they were like financially not doing well, and then they were not able to access the money from that publishing. And basically, that was like the that was the end. Yeah, we have to be careful about uh, selling our catalogs. They are assets, and if you don't understand that process, you can get the bitter end of the stick with that. And and where do you, you know, being in publishing, where do you see this as an empowering point for musicians and businesses? I think that because there is 
not a lot of information about publishing. It's very shadowy. Um, there are opportunities for licensing and revenue building that people just don't know about. So if you're privy to um, how to license your music, especially with micro licensing being as popular as it is right now, um, there are opportunities for people to actually make a living in this industry, whereas they wouldn't be so, you know, uh, hard up, I suppose, for lack of a better word, uh, to gain streaming, streaming income. And do you feel like at this point, because of the streaming industry and you know, you're not making the same amount of money that you were when you were doing physical sales. Um, there is still value in publishing at us, like if you're at an indie level or a smaller level. Um, do you see that as kind of still being a, a, a driver um, of building a big catalog or, or like, you know, in our current state, how do you feel like, you know, the publishing side is going to impact the industry? And again, it's just it just goes to licensing. There's so many different areas that people can expose their music beyond DSPs. Like there's just so many more. Um, so there's just more opportunities to make a living uh, because of that. Now, what I would say is that access is key. If you do know someone within a publishing that's a publishing administrator that can actually uh, build those connections with those platforms, obviously that's a, a game changer for you. But there are platforms that exist already for independent artists to self-publish. So opportunities are endless. <laughs> People just need to tap in. Yeah, and I think I mean that's and that's something that uh, you know CCE is really trying to focus on and is an important part of community building and access building is like how do you centralize these resources, right? Who are the right people to talk to that can actually bring you into that conversation? Um, with your time uh, at Empire, which we were just talking about, I really loved uh, Ghazi's speech last year. He seemed like a, just a really smart marketing, like just incredible. Um, uh, business person, mm -hmm. um, how how did you you know experience that company and its growth um, on the publishing side and just on the music side? What were some of the 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 tidbits of knowledge that you pulled from that experience? Well, I got to see what it's like to build a publishing company from the ground level. Yeah. It was ex extremely instrumental in that process. I just for those that know, I've been in the music publishing industry for 12 years, working for E1 and Cobalt Music Publishing, streamlining their global income tracking processes. And that's how I ended up at Empire because Ghazi saw that I had that ability. Uh, again, a lot of people just don't know about publishing, mm -hmm. so that gave me a competitive advantage. Um, and as director of systems integration and operations for Empire, I've built royalties processing systems from scratch, rights management systems, agreements modules, and the list goes on. And and did you learn that skill in uh, in school or in, ter in terms of being a data analyst and being able to build these kinds of systems? Or was this something that was just like, I'm curious if I can do this, and then I did it? To be honest, no, I didn't even want to be in music technology, <laughs> if I'm being real with you. <laughs> What really, uh, again, is that competitive advantage because there are so few people that have an understanding of publishing. Being that I had um, knowledge about competitive competitor systems and building onto their systems, uh, I was able to offer something that other people just don't have the ability to do. So uh, I didn't want to be in technology, but I learned quickly it's a very lucrative space to be. Mm -hmm. And now that I've... Um, 
I've leveraged what I've brought to the table at Empire to become independent and start my own tech company, Encore Music Tech Solutions, and now I'm a consultant for Empire. That's that's incredible. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. I mean, it's you know, I think it's really it's really beautiful to watch how people careers progress right and just this curiosity and like okay I have to figure this out and then being able to also start your own company so going from working for uh, you know a, a major label um, and in these kind of large publishing companies to starting your own company can you just talk us through kind of like you know being an, uh, uh, an entrepreneur um, what what were some of the things that were really exciting to you about it and what were some of the things that were like hard like I didn't well, realize it was this, going to be this. I was really happy it was this. Because I have several businesses, they all have <laughs> challenged me in a lot of different ways. Um, first of all, with Encore, um, it's learning to ask for permission later or ask for forgiveness later <laughs> sometimes. You, you have the right answer. You've just got to go for it right. and stand on your power and your knowledge and understanding and let other people be convinced by that, you know, once the proof is in the pudding. Um, in terms of being a woman of color, that's obviously a huge challenge. Uh, I would say I'm not very um, unique in that women of color tend to start their own businesses because right. there's a glass ceiling that they're unable to break. Um, most of us are not in senior leadership roles, even though we've spent 10 plus years in the business. And like we mentioned earlier, starting from the ground level, you might have a you might be overqualified for those positions, but um, if you're not having frequent meetings with your boss, you know, if they have no insight into what it is that you're actually contributing, then you're not offered those opportunities. So, yeah, there's a lot of different things. And, you know, I, I went to the, was we were talking about the Digilog um, yeah. panel yesterday, and, and it, they, it was just about, it, it was really a, a great panel because everyone in there you could tell did not had had the glass ceiling and they had to smash it themselves and they smashed it themselves through tech and creativity and I mean it, it in every every person's story was really interesting um, and uh, and 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 like they were they had practical like results like listen like you need to build a fan base you need to think about a thousand a thousand people will spend a hundred dollars on you like they just had the whole it was really you have to believe in yourself, you know, but every that's not for everyone, though. So right. I don't want to uh, just present that into the world like everyone can just start a business. It's not that easy. Right. And it does require resources. I was able to do it because I leveraged my relationship with a major player in the game to now invest in the other things that mm. I want to do. That's not everyone's story. Sometimes you you just start with the scraps that you're given with right. or you re realize that maybe that's not the path for you and you just try to chuck away at climbing the ladder in the corporate world. Uh, different strokes for different folks. Yeah. And what what are you um, excited about right now? What in the industry is, is bringing you like hope or joy or like this is going to oh. be great tell me i'm about to change the game out here y'all <laughs> ain't ready for me <laughs> let me just tell you right now so I I, my nonprofit organization is what's really bringing me joy right now i realized that what i started was a solution to my own problem but it was a problem everyone around me was happening ha having um and they just needed the resources and the tools to be able to um, sustain or create an environment that is comfortable for them um, and so I'm just continuing to expand 
that uh, Can you organization. Talk, talk a little bit more about the organization. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So I have five board members. They're all leaders in different sectors of the music industry, from finance at Mass Appeal to data strategy at Acceleration Music to CEOs of their own companies. Um, I really lean on them because this is my first time in the nonprofit world. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of things that go into yep. that um, relationship building, uh, corporate sponsorship, just net networking, membership, all of the above. Um, so yeah, I think that it's the start of something beautiful. Uh, I believe that my mission with this is to make more women uh, of color, bring them more to the helm of these tables, um, allow us to drive the narratives through our stories, change the way that the industry is promoting black and brown stories because we are not a monolith. You know, mm -hmm. it's unfortunate that there's this promotion of women of color right. in a way. Right. Yeah. yeah. And um, is the organization is out of L.A.? It's based in L.A., based, yes. Based but in it, LA. we have chapters in New York, Atlanta. We're opening one in Florida as well. Okay. We want to expand in, internationally. And what does the program look like in, in each city? So we just had our first members um, dr membership drive in uh, Harriet's Rooftop a couple weeks ago. Just a beautiful moment for people to commiserate and build and network with each other. Um, on the platform, they can network via social media platform. Uh, they can share media. They can share their job postings, which is actually the biggest segue yeah. into the industry for a lot of them. So, And we have professional as well as student members. So... Uh, student members, they are taking mu music business curriculum, but as members, they have access to our network, they have access to mentorship, and to internship postings. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's fantastic. I, you know, uh, these type of organizations are really important to have. Um, and they're important for people to know about them. So I'm excited to, you Thank know. Thank you for giving me the opportunity <laughs> to speak on it. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, uh, you know, in, in Chicago, there, there's just, uh, and I, this may be in other cities, but I only speak from my, my own experience, um, is that the industry is very siloed. And, uh, like, you can live in the same city, and there'll be all these things that are happening, and you just have no idea. Yeah, right? we're all confined to our little bubbles, right? Um, I'll give you a story, though. My upbringing is one that is probably not unique either, but uh, I grew up in a black community. I went to a predominantly white school from the time I was five years old through 12th grade. I'd experienced tokenism at a very young age. Mm. I used to hate my parents for doing that. Like, why am I? There's a perfectly good black school down the street. Right. Um, and I used to resent them for that. And I thought that they uh, sent me there so I could get a good education, so to speak. But the education was in realizing that that is the real world circumstance for me, that mm. I will be the only woman of color in most of these rooms. But now I can navigate it a lot easier, right. you know, because I... I can speak the language, you know, mm -hmm. I can uh, understand other people's cultures and lifestyles. And hopefully, hopefully they will respect me and what I have to offer also. Well, they have to respect you. I mean, I, in my mind, well, I, you know, but I, who am I? But I'm just saying in terms of like um, what you've built, your career. I mean, you know, you're a big name person. Like I appreciate that. You know, trying out here. <laughs> um, so what will you not compromise on? in your business or career? My integrity. First of all, I live in L.A., so <laughs> we were just talking <laughs> about, like, the clout chasing right. and the name dropping, and people will do anything for fame, right? When I went into this business, I promised myself, 
I was a singer, and I can sing pretty, pretty well. Um, if I wanted to be famous, I would have gone that route. Right. But I decided I would make a difference on the back end. Music technology is not a sexy space. You know, data analysis is not a sexy <laughs> place to be. But you see how I'm able to use that to drive change? That's what, that's my mission. That's my purpose. Yeah. And if you had, like, uh, a book or a podcast or a movie that maybe inspires you personally or for your businesses, what would, what would be some things or one or two things that, you know, you would suggest for people or that has helped you? Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. Time is a commodity. Man. Don't get wrapped up in the little things. There's good and bad in everything, but it's all positive at the end of the day, based on your perspective. Um, in terms of movies, uh, mm, Madam C.J. Walker uh, bio uh, biopic. Mm -hmm. Man, that woman was a the first black millionaire. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. In the time that she was um, building her business, people were like, I mean, I think that I received certain kinds of uh, challenges. I can only imagine what she was going through. Um, so that's definitely a movie. And that, that time period, the Harlem Renaissance. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, it's just right. it's such an extraordinary time that I feel like a, not a lot of Americans know about. I mean, we're talking right. about Duke we Ellington. We're talking about, about that, you know, know, it's like uh, this this whole period of just incredible like business and art happening. Um, yes. Yeah, that, that's extraordinary. And, and someone recently also recommended that book, The Power See? of Now. So I he think he knows what he's talking about. It's 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 time. Well, I'm I'm really honored to be uh, sitting next to you and having this conversation oh. and to be connected and learn about the organizations. And I'm looking forward to you know sharing what you're doing with the work that we're doing in Chicago. Thank you. Um, thanks again for joining me for a Global Industry Spotlight. It's really awesome to talk to this you. This was such a privilege, and I appreciate the opportunity. Really, this is amazing to have an open dialogue and. Uh, we need to have more safe spaces, so I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again. Thank you.